0: Hello and welcome to the AcroLibrary.com podcast. My name is Ben Lowry, broadcasting from Bristol in the United Kingdom. And the whole purpose of this podcast is for me to interview successful acrobats and ask them about their training approach, their philosophy, their career, and hopefully we can learn useful things that we can implement into our own training, our own careers. And today, as always, I've got another high quality guest, Dr. Jennifer Crane. Uh, She is a physical therapist, athletic trainer, board certified orthopaedic specialist and published author. She has been a sports medicine professional for 8 years and has worked with a wide variety of athletes and performing artists throughout that time. Most recently, she worked as a physiotherapist living in China with the Chinese Olympic teams in preparation for the Rio 2016 Olympics. While in China, she worked with multiple sports teams, diving, weightlifting, fencing, gymnastics, synchronized swimming, and track and field. Of the athletes she worked with, 18 of them went on to get an Olympic gold medal in Rio. Now, happily back in San Francisco, Jennifer's practice is based at Circus Center where she specializes in injury prevention and treatment of athletes and performing artists. When she's not working with circus artists she can usually be found standing on her hands, swinging on flying trapeze or spinning on a single point trapeze. So Jennifer Crane thanks for joining us today how are you?
1: I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on.
0: Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. And so I think what would be nice um, during the course of this interview, I'm hoping that we can learn about you and your career and what you offer. And also I'm hoping we can talk and get into a little bit of detail about um, active flexibility and maybe, you know, that our listeners can learn something about their stretching and, and things like that. Is that okay with you?
1: Absolutely. That sounds great.
0: Great. So I'm looking at your website. I'm seeing the list of letters after your name and I, I don't know what they all mean. So why don't we start there? Tell us um, what your what your background is. Sure.
1: Absolutely. So I'm a physical therapist um, and also an athletic trainer. So what that means is um, when I went to university, I studied athletic training for four years. Um, after I graduated, got uh, licensed as an athletic trainer. I worked for an athletic tra- as an athletic trainer, for about a year um, with different various sports teams. So the athletic trainer, for those of you who aren't super familiar with the different types of sports medicine professionals, um, an athletic trainer is the one if you're watching a football game, and someone like goes down on the field, grabs their knee, whatever, they're the ones that run out and kind of assess if the person can keep playing or if they need to come off. Um, So very, very much on, on field acute management for injuries. So that's kind of my first uh, background as a sports medicine professional. After that, I went to physical therapy school, which is a three-year doctorate program here in the States. Um, and that that's where I got my PT degree. So it's a three-year program. Um, after that, that's where the PTDPT initials come from in my name. Um, so yeah, so that was um, my early training. After I graduated with my doctorate, I did a residency in sports and orthopedics. So what that means is that I did an additional year of studying specifically the musculoskeletal system and um, orthopedic-related injuries and treatment and management for for a little bit higher level functioning athletes. So that's where the OCS comes from in my name, Um, and basically that just means that I did a year residency, um, was qualified to sit for the orthopedic boards and then passed that exam. Um, so, so yeah, uh, PT, DPT, OCS, ATC. Yeah. So that's all my initials. Um, yeah, so that's where, uh, that's kind of my background. When I first, uh, was done with all the schooling, I started working in sports. Um, so I've always kind of wanted to work with athletes. Um, but, got started in my career, was really enjoying that, did a little bit of of work as as a professor in some different physical therapy schools. And then then that's when I discovered Circus. Um, So when I discovered Circus, I also discovered that there was this huge lack of qualified healthcare providers that understood really what we need to be able to do with our bodies in aerial and in acrobatics. and and yeah so i was just in this really unique position where i could take my my training and my previous knowledge and skills with athletes and then transfer it over to this really unique subsection of performing arts which doesn't get a whole lot of um of attention and love from the rest of the medical community um so yeah so um i kind of worked my way around the us and um around the world and ended up here in San Francisco working with circus artists so it's uh, it's been a really awesome uh, adventure so far and I'm really I'm so thankful to be able to have found this niche that I love so much love working with and that I'm part of that community too so that's my background in a nutshell
0: all right do you exclusively work with circus people now or other kinds of athletes still
1: Yeah. So right now I work mostly with circus artists. I definitely do work with everybody Um, about once a week. I'll get an email from someone asking if I see regular people too, which yes, I do. Um, But it just kind of has morphed into mostly circus artists with the side of other athletes and these quote-unquote normal people (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Uh Um, so there's a question i was dying to ask you i'm i'm looking at your website and it says you've worked with divers weightlifters fencing gymnastics synchronized swimming field and track and probably all sorts of other things and what i'm really curious about is there certain kinds of injuries or or certain reoccurring things that each kind of different sport you know keeps uh, coming up you know like for example a power lifter or something is there certain things you'd work with them and then a circus area is it you know certain other things
1: absolutely that's such a good question in every sport there's definitely the injuries that people kind of trend towards having um, just based on the different demands of the sport so um, last year i was working in china with the chinese olympic uh, olympic teams and prep for rio and i got to experience all of these different um athletes and sports that i some of, some of which I'd had previous experience with, and some were totally new, like fencing. Um, so yeah, you definitely, as you work with these different sports and different athletes, there are all sorts of kind of standard injuries. They're the most common ones. Um, so, so with fencing, it's so interesting because it's such an asymmetric sport. They have the same arm forward and the same leg forward for everything. So as a result of that, you see a lot of low back pain, a lot of low back injuries, um, and then a lot of asymmetries in the upper body strength. So, so, yeah, definitely as you work with the different sports and kind of get used to or start to understand a little bit more what the what that specific sports demand um, you can definitely start to see some recurring patterns and that's what's really cool once you have worked with a sport and you understand it and start to recognize these patterns you can start to anticipate okay how can we prevent that from happening so how now that i've you know worked with the sport for x amount of years um i understand that most of the problems come from asymmetries or lack of overhead mobility or whatever it is Um, and that's when you can really start to kind of get ahead of it and be like, okay, so for this team, these are the most common injuries. These are some corrective exercises or mobility drills or strength drills that will help address those specific issues so that they maybe won't have to go through that, uh, that path of injury. So, so yeah, that's one of my favorite parts about working with different sports is figuring that out and then getting ahead of the curve.
0: All right. Um, so personally, I'm uh, an aspiring hand balancer. And so I'm curious, have you worked with hand balancers? Or are there certain, um, you know, typical injuries for those?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm also an aspiring hand balancer. So that is something near and dear to my heart. Um, typically with hand balancers, the most common injury that I see is rotator cuff impingement. So that's like when you're in a handstand, if you ever start to get that kind of pinchy, achy pain in the top inside front of your shoulder um that's kind of that sensation and that and that problem um so yeah that this comes from can come from a wide variety of of issues with hand balancing but the most common reason is for like for those of us who are working on just endurance holds so how long can you hold a freestanding handstand or handstand on the wall or when you're transitioning into working on one arm drills when you start to get that fatigue in, in your upper traps and in your shoulder and you start to sink through your shoulder and don't keep extending up, um, as we know is proper technique. That's really when you start to see these rotator cuff injuries, basically that sinking motion. And when you're in a handstand and you stop extending and your, your shoulders slowly creep away from your ears, um, that puts your rotator cuff in a really disadvantaged position to be able to work from and then subsequently can cause a lot of problems with impingement or, um, or other issues with the rotator cuff. So that's definitely the most common issue I see in hand balancing.
0: Yeah, I remember personally having an injury like that. I mean, I didn't go to a physio or anything. But um, me and some friends were training and we were doing like a one minute handstand against the wall. And really, my shoulders were able to do about 45 or 50 seconds and about 55 seconds, like, ow, you know, it's gone. You know, I, I guess the main supportive muscles are fatigued. And then all of a sudden, it's relying on the smaller muscles in there, is it?
1: yep yep exactly
0: right right yeah I stopped competing to try and hit certain amounts of time after that I thought I thought I'm just gonna go with my intuition and do what feels right and and stop when it feels like it's enough you know
1: (laughs) yeah that's really smart and I think that's something that a lot of circus artists we're very competitive at least with ourselves and we always want to meet the next goal and the next the next milestone especially in hand balancing milestones are so few and far between and it's such a non-gratifying uh practice that really takes a lot of patience so it's hard to not set those time specific goals but when you start to set goals that are more related to okay when is the fatigue point when does technique start to kind of go down the drain that those are really the goals for for hand balancing that i would suggest especially for those that are um a little bit more prone to or have had previous shoulder injuries
0: Mm -hmm. yeah perfect um i'm curious kind of the same question to aerialists i know you do aerial as well is that right yes And, and, and by the way do you perform or is it just a hobby for you or
1: um, right now, it's just a hobby. I would like to start performing more in um, maybe the next year or so, but I have a lot of fun just doing it recreationally.
0: All right. And yeah, so the, the same question, is there certain things that um, trapeze, silks, um, maybe even pole dancers get? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And it's actually the same exact injury with a different mechanism. So with aerial and with pole, um, probably even a higher rate of circus artists that come to me with any rotator cuff strains, rotator cuff impingement, um, and kind of that family of injuries. But the reason that they, that I see that happening so much in this population is more that we have this crossover. um, So, so much of aerial and Pole uh, is rooted in dance and ballet and the kind of that subsection of performing arts. And in ballet and in dance, when our arms are overhead in like a fifth position, we the proper technique is to bring our shoulders down and back to create this long neck that looks very aesthetically pleasing. Um, I think this has transitioned over into aerial when maybe it should not have. When we're hanging from, um, from an apparatus or anytime our arms are overhead really, especially if there's a weight-bearing component either within hand balancing or hanging um, from one or both arms really we need our shoulders to be elevated slightly and upwardly rotated. So what that ends up looking like is more like the mid-range of a shoulder shrug, maybe even trending a little bit more towards that handstand position with full extension. Um, so a lot of us don't aren't aware of that and aren't aware of why that's so important. But basically, if we're hanging with our arms overhead and we pull our shoulder blades down and back, that's putting our rotator cuff in the position of impingement. And then not only are we putting it in a disadvantaged position, but you're hanging your whole body weight from it. Maybe you're doing beats or more dynamic movement. And that's really when you start to see a lot of injuries when we're trying to force our shoulders into this uh, unnatural for aerial posture that we do because it looks nice and it looks so so much more aesthetically pleasing. But, uh, but if you think about it, we're probably more – Closely related to gymnastics aerial, so like rings, bars, that kind of family of, uh, of sports and of athletics. And if you think about it, if you ever watch uh, men's gymnastics on the rings or women's and even parallel bars or men's high bar, anytime someone is swinging from an apparatus and their arms are overhead in gymnastics – they're always going to be more in that extended position. So more looking like a handstand than ballet. So that's really, that's the biggest mechanism of injury that I see with aerialists and with pole dancers, because we care so much about aesthetics. Um, And a lot of us just don't know that that's not a great position for a rotator cuff. So a lot of times when I, when I see aerialists, for the first time with any shoulder pain, the first thing that I want to that I talk about is hanging position, and just to kind of get an idea of what position their shoulders and their shoulder blades are in when they're hanging, and um, if that's contributing to their injury and their pain at all.
0: Mm very interesting um it reminds me with handstands people with a yoga background they tend to relax their shoulders down their back more and it may not be so dangerous if they're doing a handstand and relaxing into it 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 might not be so prone to injury but yeah you know I I quite often find myself trying to drum it into yoga people's heads that they need to be pushing up as hard as as they can rather than relaxing
1: (laughs) yeah absolutely
0: let's talk about your online training programs and um so the the main premise uh, and the title of your online things is active flexibility. So, if you don't mind, would you summarize for us what what, what is active flexibility as opposed to um, passive stretching, and why is it important?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, active flexibility is basically um, how far can you move a joint through its range of motion when you don't have gravity assisting you. So. A good example for this is splits. So if we're working, if we're stretching our splits on the floor, one leg is forward, one leg is backward. We have gravity pushing down against us to help get our splits flat. So this is more the idea of passive stretching, passive flexibility. Um, And then especially if you have, if you're in a flexibility or a contortion class, and someone, you know, your instructor comes over and um, applies some pressure to your hips, maybe helps you square. um, That's a little bit more uh, traditionally considered stretching, passive flexibility, but now active flexibility, if we're using that same uh, splits example would be if you're in a handstand or if you're inverted on your apparatus and you go into the splits, how, how far can you use, can you move your legs into that split position? Does it look like it did when you were on the floor being assisted or does it look a little more like a pizza slice? And a lot, a lot of us um, kind of trend towards the pizza slice look when we're doing an inverted split on an apparatus or in a handstand just because a lot of times when we train just passive flexibility, we don't understand what muscles need to be engaged uh, and strong in that position to help assist into that passive or active position when we're inverted. So active flexibility tends to be something that a lot of us shy away from just because and again, kind of going back to the history of, of circus and our, our roots, a lot of it is based in more passive stretching. Um, so, So yeah, active flexibility is something that I really have developed an affinity for over my time working with performing artists, just because not only does it help us look better in the air upside down, but it also is a huge way that we can work on injury prevention and make sure that our joints are safe and strong in these more extreme flexibility positions that we often demand of ourselves. So that's kind of my, my quick uh, discussion on, on flexibility and the different types of flexibility and how it relates to circus.
0: Sure. And does passive flexibility have its place? I'm presuming it does. And do you need both of them? I mean, because there may may be people listening that, you know, they're new to all this. And so they really might not have any idea. So
1: yeah, absolutely. So yes, um, the one thing that I will say is I think that the terminology and our understanding of flexibility should start to change and evolve as you know, we get more knowledge about injuries and what causes injuries, especially in flexibility-related uh, sports. So one thing that I would say, definitely this, um, this traditional passive stretching has a place in circus and performing arts and it definitely can be done very safely you do need a qualified coach and i cannot stress that enough that i mean with all of these specialties in performing arts we know that coaching is really important but especially with flexibility i mean you see these horror stories videos circulating on facebook and on the internet of people being passively pushed into splits and just you know not loving that so we want to get away from that concept of passive flexibility um I definitely advocate for this kind of prolonged static, uh, hold holding in stretches to increase your flexibility. Um, but what I would, what I typically talk about and something that I've, uh, learned a lot from Katie Breyer, who's my, um, my business partner and my contortion coach, um, and working with her over the years, really changing this idea of, what stretching is and when you're stretching, even when you're doing this passive stretching, you should be actively engaged, you should always have muscles be turned on and firing and your hips should be engaged and your quads and your hand, everything should be engaged so that when you're in that position, your body is not only improving its flexibility, but you're stabilizing around these joints and regions that are, that you're trying to gain mobility. in. so it's really this idea of engaging everything and being strong in that position and not just having all of this passive flexibility that you can't control.
0: I'm with you. So, so by doing the active component of it, that makes it, um, more practical for you to use that flexibility, you know, either performing or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, I see what you mean. Um, just a quick example. So, for example, if I'm stretching a uh, a pancake, a sort of forward fold, middle split kind of thing, I, you're saying engage your quads, so you're lifting your legs at the same time. Is is that the idea?
1: It's not so much a leg a leg lift, but if we're talking about like in a in a pancake where you're in that straddle and you're reaching forward and trying to get your belly to the ground, <clears throat> what you really want to be engaged there is your quads, a to make sure that your knees stay straight, which not only looks nice, but you need to protect your knee joints and, and your hips as you're in that stretch. So, um, so definitely quad engagement is huge in a pancake. And also, um, what Katie and I have lovingly referred to as the side, butt. so our glute need, which is the muscles on the side of our hips, um, those need to be really active anytime you're stretching any sort of middle split. And what that does is it, helps to protect your hips but it also helps you like we kind of were saying solidify that range of motion and get a little bit deeper into that stretch in a much safer safer manner. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, for pancake and middle splits, it's all about quad engagement inside but engagement.
0: So, all right.
1: That's what we focus
0: on. And something uh, which is a core component of your training programs I was reading them earlier is the nerve element um which i wasn't aware of really that was news to me um, I, I don't want you to sort of give away all your secrets or talk about all the content that's in your um training programs but is there? could you just give us an, an overview of that
1: yeah absolutely so this concept of nerve tension is huge in adequately addressing all the structures that can limit our flexibility so typically we if you ask some any random person, what limits flexibility and like, why can't you touch your toes? They're going to say it's because of tight muscles. You know, my hamstrings are too tight. My hip flexors are too tight, whatever. But there are a lot of other structures in the body that can limit flexibility. And we don't always um, hear, we don't always hear those addressed in standard uh, fitness classes. So this idea of nerve tension and sciatic nerve tension specifically is huge in what can limit our pike stretch or the front leg in our splits um, or this like kind of active pike compression. So the sciatic nerve is a huge nerve. It's the biggest nerve in your body. It's about the size of your pinky finger. It starts in your low back, exits your um, low, low back vertebrae joins together and then runs down your glutes, down the back of your hamstrings, down the back of your calves to the bottom of your feet. So really it's the only structure that is fully stretched when we're in a Forward fold with our feet flexed. So, kind of my standard um, test for whether nerve tension is something that is limiting your flexibility is um, a variation on a pike stretch. So, what I what I tell people to do is sit on the floor um, in a comfortable pike with your feet pointed, and then reach forward and see how how far you can reach, what the sensation is, um, and kind of where you feel it. So, do you feel it in your hamstrings and your calves and your hips? Um, and then come back up, flex your feet, and do the same forward fold pike stretch with feet flexed. And if there's a huge difference in your range of motion and in the sensation with those two with those two uh, positions, then it is more than likely that the sciatic nerve tension is a pretty significant limiting factor in your pike and your splits. Um, so in that case, you would, in the case of uh, of nerve tension, which most of us have because most of us sit for quite a lot of the day. Um, if you have nerve tension, that's limiting your splits and your pike, you're not going to be able to reach as far forward with your feet flexed versus pointed. And you'll often feel it in your calves or in the bottom of your feet or, um, or more intensely in your hamstrings than in that first foot pointed position. Um, so that's kind of the, my kind of quick and dirty assessment for is nerve tension a limiting factor um and then if so there are very specific drills that you need to do to address nerve tension that look very wildly different from the standard hamstring split stretching
0: so nerves can be stretched is that what you're saying
1: yeah. It's not so much this concept of stretching nerves as more as uh, mobilizing them. So your nerves, all of the nerves in your body run through this connective tissue tubing. So it's kind of like a cooked spaghetti noodle moving within a straw. Um, and what happens with nerve tension is for whatever reason, and this can happen for so many different reasons, whether it's uh, low back pain, um, a disc herniation, or even a hamstring injury or a calf injury, uh, there's more inflammation around the nerve and its connective tissue sheath. Um, And when that happens, the the cooked spaghetti noodle gets stuck to the side of the straw. And that limits the mobility of the nerve within its connective tissue tubing. Um, We want nerves to have quite a big excursion within this connective tissue tubing so that we can achieve all of these basic flexibility positions. But when the When the noodle gets stuck to the side of the straw, that's when you get this really uncomfortable pulling sensation, um, and that's when nerve tension starts to become a factor. So instead of the idea of stretching muscles um, by pulling from both ends and holding for a prolonged period of time to adequately address nerve tension, we want to do what's called nerve flossing or nerve gliding, which is basically when you try, you put your body through different, uh, very specific positions, at very specific uh, times throughout. So you would move your back, your hip, your knee, and your foot in these specific patterns that encourage that nerve to uh, have a little bit more excursion and mobility within this connective tissue sheath. So that's more the concept of how to address nerve tension. It's not quite static stretching, but it is a type of mobility.
0: Is there, um, is there certain typical mistakes that people make it, it, when they're when they're trying to... Mm... Um, you know, maybe work on their backbends, uh, you know, and they're not knowledgeable about what they're doing. Is there certain things that people should, you know, warnings that you could give us for that?
1: For backbends specifically? Yeah. Yes, definitely. So the most common thing, and this I see a lot um, in people who have a background in yoga um, specifically, but The idea that when you're in a bridge or like a wheel pose, um, a lot of people relax their glutes and really you want your glutes to be engaged and active in a backbend and that acts to protect your low back. So when you engage your glutes properly in a backbend, what it does is it takes a lot of the stress out of your low back and allows you to get more of a contribution from uh, from your hips in that backbend. So if you look at most people's backbends, our low back or lumbar spine has a lot more Uh, natural mobility in this flexion and extension position so when we're in a backbend our low back is typically going to be the main contributor to that position but we do want our hips our upper back and our shoulders to also contribute and make that a little bit nicer a little more of a composite backbend and when you engage your glutes you're really helping to take some of the stress out of your low back uh, put it into your hips a little bit more um and encourage us a, a much safer position for back bends,
0: oh, so I see so so yeah. if if people don't do that, then the danger is you're gonna be putting a lot of pressure into the lower back and that and it is gonna be vulnerable like that exactly right um tell us about your um you're working with this lady I've forgotten her name um you've got a partnership, I think she's the contortion lady is that right
1: Yes so, right,
0: so tell us about the project you've got with her.
1: Yeah, so basically this evolved over a couple, several years. So when I moved to San Francisco, I uh, I really moved here to train. You can be a physio anywhere. And I was like, well, <laughs> I'd like to live in San Francisco. There's a lot of good circus there. And I'd like to get a little bit more, more training. So when I moved here, I started working with Katie Breyer in her flexibility and contortion classes. Um, and obviously, being a, a physio and having this uh, biomechanics and anatomy background, I um, one could see how potentially it would be challenging for me to reconcile my physio brain with my contortion brain. Um, but working with Katie, she is just by far the the best contortion flexibility coach that I've worked with. Um, and the way that she approaches flexibility and contortion is really, I was just so impressed with how safe all of her approaches were. Um, she's really, uh, like I said, she's, uh, very much behind this idea of always being engaged in positions of flexibility. Um, and I saw personally a ton of improvement in my flexibility over, over the years that i worked with her. Um, and I never uh, had any injuries related to flexibility. So I think that that was kind of the, the, the foundations of our partnership. And then I think it was maybe about eight months ago, I, um, we were talking, and I was like, "So, Katie, I have these active flexibility online ebooks that I'm selling, and you have your uh, your stretching um, online stretching programs." And kind of, she had the same version of what I have, but for uh, more stretching and flexibility improvement. So I was like, I, "I feel like it would be a really great idea if we just married these two products and kind of our two approaches." Um, so, so yeah, that's kind of how PhysioFlex uh, was born. So PhysioFlex is our uh, is our company that focuses on safe, comprehensive flexibility training. So with this, we've uh, we are still continuing to put out online flexibility courses that are self-paced and include, you know, videos and lectures and demonstrations and workouts that are specific to middle splits, back bends, uh, square splits, etc. Um, but there's this big emphasis on injury prevention safety active flexibility and then kind of the whole package altogether. um so yeah that's kind of how how PhysioFlex was born
0: all right and people can find the link to that on your website I'm, I'm pretty sure and um I was I wanted to ask you about your workshops you teach workshops as well
1: I do yeah I have a Um, several different workshops. I have two that are focused on injury prevention, one for the shoulders or for shoulders and one for low back, since those are the two most common regions that um, that I see injuries in. So each of those workshops are kind of built around this um, injury risk assessment. So it's a five or six part injury risk assessment where I've, you know, narrowed it down now that I've worked with circus artists for several years. I've, I've started to recognize all of these patterns that, you know, people with lack of overhead mobility or this and that tend to be more at risk for injuries. So I've taken all of those kind of injury factors and turned it into this five or six part movement analysis. And, you know, we, we go through, through the, uh, the workshop, go through each of the movements. Um, everyone gets a pass fail score per movement. And then for those that did not pass the specific, uh, patterns or drills. Then we go over different exercises that they can do, so that they will improve their score on that component of the test and therefore decrease their risk of injury. So those are my shoulder and low back uh, workshops, and then I have active flexibility workshops as well for back bends and splits.
0: All right, and um, like, um, uh, what about the format? I mean, how many people are in the workshop? How long is it? Uh, where can people find you if they want to come and attend?
1: Yeah, um, so they're all a little bit different. The my standard workshops have a maximum of 15 people, um, and they're two hours long. And then I have different kind of offshoots of that for smaller groups. So if you really want to spend a little bit more one-on-one time, then I have more of this workshop intensive, um, that is also two hours, but has a max of six people. Um, and then there are kind of variants from there depending on where I am and what, um, what the setting is. So, and I'm, I will be in the next week or two announcing my, uh, travel schedule for 2018. I'm planning to do quite a bit more travel this year than I did last year. So that will be on my website and my social media in the next week or so.
0: All right. Is that internationally or just within the United States?
1: Yes. Internationally. Um, yeah, Katie and I are definitely going to be going to Barcelona for PhysioFlex. And then I believe um, I'll definitely be going to London and then maybe a few other spots within Europe. Um, and then Katie is to be determined. So she has a four year old, so travel internationally is a bit more challenging for her, but we're definitely going to be going to Barcelona and then we're going to Bali next month, um, for our first PhysioFlex retreat for contortion and flexibility. Oh, wow. uh, and then, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm sure I'll be in Canada at some point. Um, but yeah. And then of course within the U
0: S. The retreat sounds fun. I didn't see anything about that. Is it posted online or?
1: Yeah, it's on, a, it's on our PhysioFlex website. So okay. PhysioFlexSF.com. Um, that's this. Uh, yeah, so it's a luxury retreat. Um, we rented this like giant 10 bedroom villa in Bali on the beach um, that has like this built in yoga flexibility area. So, um, so yeah, it's a seven day retreat where we're focusing or we'll be doing our PhysioFlex curriculum. Um, for flexibility and contortion, and it's in Bali. So when you're done with flexibility, you can go and hang out on the beach and just enjoy uh, the scenery and oh, the area.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm glad I asked. I didn't know about that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but- we'll be doing a couple of those per year. This is our first one, so we're going to, um, after after we're done with Bali, uh, we're going to kind of plan the next year for retreats. I think our idea is that we're going to do um three per year one um kind of in southeast asia area one somewhere in europe and then one somewhere in north america so hopefully caters to people everywhere
0: (laughs) Mm, that sounds wonderful yeah i was actually going to ask you what's your future plans long-term plans career-wise i guess you've answered it a little bit just just then but is there any you know is there any other long-term plans for you
1: yeah, definitely. Um, I, this year is definitely going to be focused more on traveling and teaching. Um, and then moving forward in the next couple of years, I have started working with, um, different specialties within kind of the circus performing arts community for teacher trainings. So right now I'm kind of doing, um, or started projects with teaching or being part of like, an uh, like different aerial teacher trainings or acro teacher trainings, things like that. But then in the next several years, I'd like to start a like circ physio uh, teacher training because there are a lot of a lot of instructors out there who really want to have a good knowledge of anatomy and mechanics and how to avoid uh, injuries in their students. So I've had quite a few requests for that. And I'm going to try to come out with something in the next probably year or two with teacher trainings.
0: All right. Um, Are there any teachers or authorities, people that you've learned from or people you look up to or authors that you can recommend that we can go and look up?
1: For circus or for physio?
0: Oh, (laughs) I guess I was just asking generally either.
1: Um, yeah, definitely. I think um Edo Portal has is just a, a great wealth of knowledge in this more movement community. Um, a lot of great information there. I think Kelly Starrett is also a really, really valuable resource. He has a lot of awesome online content um on YouTube and very educational. He kind of um focuses on the CrossFit community, but there are so many there are a lot of carryover or crossover between CrossFit and circus, even though one wouldn't think that naturally. But um, yeah, I think that those two both have, and they both have a lot of really great, um, great books and content out there for different people to, um, to to look into that want to learn a little bit more about bodies in motion or bodies who need to be doing more. Uh, you know, not just someone who. Goes to work and sits for eight hours, but people who want a little bit more from their bodies, those are great places to start.
0: What was the name? I, I know Ido Portal, is movement culture, is his brand, isn't it? I think. But um, the <laughs> second guy, what was his website or his business name?
1: Uh, Kelly Stara. He is the guy that founded CrossFit in San Francisco, um, a PT, and just has a lot of really good um, information online. I think his YouTube channel is Mobility Wad, okay. W O D. So. Okay. Yeah, a lot of good stuff too.
0: If you could go back to right to the start of your career or right to the start of your training and give your younger self some advice, um, what would you say?
1: Um, that's a really good question. I, you know, I think something that a lot of women in business or even just in um, in circus and business and sports medicine don't do that our male counterparts do is just go for everything, apply for everything. You know, if you're not sure if you're qualified for something, apply for it anyway, just take all of the risks, you know, apply for all the things, take all the chances. And that's something that I think more of us need to hear and do. Um, but it's something that I've I've been really fortunate to have excellent female role models along my career. And they have really helped show me kind of how to always you know keep looking and keep pushing and like i mean i have this niche is something working with circus artists i never ever in a million years would have thought that this was my career um i didn't even really know about circus when i was a student and i definitely didn't want to own my own practice and i definitely didn't want to teach um and now i own my own practice own you know two businesses and work with this awesomely bizarre subsection of performing artists and I just am so grateful to have found this this little population that I love working with so much so yeah I think just going for taking all the risks and going for everything would be my advice
0: all right very nice um is there any particular people you want to give a shout out to is there any names you want to mention you don't have to but
1: ooh yeah um so talking about uh role models of mine. Um, So starting in college and in uh, university, Nicole Cosby was the first kind of strong woman in sports medicine that just inspired me so much. And she just showed me that, you know, be assertive, be aggressive, know your stuff. Um, She was absolutely amazing and I'm so grateful for her influence. Um, And then in grad school, kind of a similar type role model Christian Little. She was one of the professors um and was just such an awesomely badass physical therapist that um both of those women have definitely stood out a lot to me. And then um, uh, another kind of just long-term business mentor of mine in physical therapy and business and kind of whenever my career has taken different paths and turns. Uh, one of my go-tos for advice is Ado Zylstra, who uh, lives in Michigan now, but is just an amazing physical therapist um, that I was lucky enough to have as a mentor in my early years and still currently. So yeah
0: all right that's really nice so i guess that was all the main questions that i was planning to ask you is there any final thoughts you want to leave us with
1: um not that i can think of i've really enjoyed being uh on your podcast
0: oh well we appreciate it thank you very much i'm going to put the links to your website and i encourage people to you know check out the retreat in bali check out your own online, online training courses um uh, maybe we'll see you in a workshop who knows
1: yeah absolutely
0: Thanks for taking the time with us, Jennifer. Thanks so much for having me. All right. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.